Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 2. Uh, part 2 is a series of video lessons that are exploring and looking at how, uh, how shame and the lifestyle of shame affects the motives we have in what we do in relationship to God and the things of God and the Word of God and also of others, and the motives we have toward ourselves. So this is lesson number four of part two of this video series. And, and I, 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 we, in the last lesson, we talked about, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let's, let's take that discussion of what it means to come to the end of yourself and and have the uh, knowledge that you can't do this, but that God loves you and he will do it through you and work in you and for you. Uh, it is for it is God that worketh in us both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. So that's his will. That's what he wants to do. He wants to work in us to enable us to will, and he wants to work in us to enable us to do what pleases him. So he didn't leave us alone in this, but he, we have to come to the end of ourselves to do that. So poverty of spirit is best equated to scriptural humility. That's the focus of this lesson. Poverty of spirit is best equated to true scriptural humility. Spiritual humility, let's, let's, let's define what spiritual humility is not. Spiritual humility is not beating on myself. It's not berating myself. That's not humility. Beating oneself up is more common and more dangerous than puffing oneself up. Now, there's a statement. Beating oneself up is more common and more dangerous than puffing oneself up. Why? Because it's easy for God to take the puff out. He knows how to do that. He is the expert of experts on how to take the puff out. But it's very difficult not God can do anything, but it's difficult to persuade us to let him explore the deep recesses of our heart and life where shame lurks. And shame is the reason that we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up. Uh, beating ourselves up is more dangerous because it is more deceptive and treacherous. Why? Because it masquerades as humility. It's not humility. It's the opposite of humility, but it pretends to be humility. When I was uh, in flight training and I was, uh, after I hurt my shoulder and they put me in what they call a pool. That's where you weren't actually involved in training and they couldn't let you sit down and they weren't going to let you just have free time off. So you had to take a pool job. That was just a, it wasn't busy work, busy work. You, it was work you had to do, but it wasn't necessarily work that you were trained to do. So you, you did that. And I was in the uh, uh, legal office at Naval Air Station Pensacola. And uh, I had been there a while. And uh, after I'd been there a little while, we were doing investigations in traffic accidents where 
either uh, military personnel or their dependents were in the accident. And we did the investigation to see if the accident was the fault of the other person and not the military personnel or their dependent so that the Navy could sue the insurance company and get, and get reimbursed for whatever expenses, medical expenses or whatever that they had expended in taking care of that military personnel or the family member. So that was my job. Well, I'd been there after I'd been there a month. Uh, I was there for a whole year. After I'd been there a month, uh, I was a senior guy because guys would filter in for a couple of weeks and they'd go out. And, uh, we, we, when we didn't have cases specifically we were working on, we'd sit around and talk. And this one guy, uh, he came in and, uh, uh, we were talking and, uh, he found out that I was, uh, preaching already and that I was traveling and preaching. And he told me, he said, you know, I went to seminary to become a priest. And I said, well, how did you get from going to be a priest to in flight training to be a pilot in the Vietnam War? Huh. Uh, this is 1968. That's the middle, some of the worst time of Vietnam War. He told me this story. He said, well, when I, uh, when I showed up at the seminary, they gave each one of us a room, but they didn't call it our room. They called it a cell. And uh, there was a desk in there and a bed, not much else. And he said, they gave us a length of rope that had knots in it. And uh, every morning at like 5 a.m. or whatever it was, that we were expected to get up and have prayers. And we were supposed to disrobe and beat ourselves on the back during prayer time to uh, punish ourselves for our sins. He said, it didn't take me but a morning or two to figure out that hurt. And they would have somebody walk up and down the hall to hear if you were doing that. Outside, the, the, the doors to the rooms were closed, so somebody would walk up and down the hall to hear if they could see if they could hear someone. Hear, they'd stop by each room to see if they hear you uh, uh, flagellating, self-flagellation. Uh he said, so I just started beating on my desk and crying out uh, each day. And he said, after a couple of weeks of that, I thought, well, if, I'm not, if I can't do this and I'm not willing to do this, then I don't need to be here trained to be a priest because what else are they going to have me to do? And I thought to myself, and I never said this to him, I know a lot of Pentecostals like that. In fact, I know one sitting here talking to you, because that's what I used to do. When I sinned, I couldn't let God forgive me because I would verbally beat myself. Now, I didn't get a rope out, but, you know, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie that is. My body will heal from sticks and stones, but the effects of words live with us a long time until we understand that we can be delivered from their effects and healed. And so I'm a, I'm a, I'm sitting there. So when I, the Lord began to show me this, I hadn't just, I didn't know this was true theoretically. I knew this was true exactly because it was destructive 
that I would, I would beat myself up for every, all of my mistakes. It was destructive. Why? Because I did not believe he would forgive me. So, or I wouldn't let him forgive me because it was too easy. It was too easy for him to forgive me. So I would have to punish myself before I got to the place I was willing to even ask him to forgive me. Well, what I didn't understand at the time was, even when I was asking him to forgive me, I wasn't uh, letting him forgive me. He, he was forgiving me, but I wasn't accepting that forgiveness and ready and forgiving myself. Now, I couldn't forgive myself, but I needed to believe he had forgiven me. He forgave me, but I needed to believe that. So I continued to hold those things against myself. Self-abasement and self-flagellation are not scriptural humility. They are not. It is not spirituality or humility to beat myself up. When he said, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive my, my, me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I don't mean this facetiously or sacrilegiously, but God is the fastest forgiver in the West. He's the fastest forgiver. He forgives so quickly. In fact, sometimes I think he's forgiven before I, my breath will even put the sounds there because of my intent, and I and I begin to say it, and he forgives me instantly. But the problem was I spent years, 33 years, not believing he was forgiving me and beating myself up, punishing myself. A person who refuses to accept acknowledgement for his or her accomplishments seems false to us and is often just as arrogant and self-important as one who boasts about his accomplishment. In both cases, self-will is operating. <laughs> that one's a mouthful, isn't it? So self-abasement and self-flagellation are not scriptural humility. Get this now. A person who refuses to accept acknowledgement for his or her accomplishments seems false to us and is often just as arrogant and self-important as the one who boasts about his accomplishments. Well, I remember doing something and somebody thanking me for it or preaching and somebody saying that was good, thank you. And I, I'd startly, hey, it wasn't me and I, I can't do that. And, and I'd pick it apart and tear it apart and, and then I would discredit them and it, sometimes to their face, sometimes not. I couldn't receive that, couldn't accept that. I thought that was humility. It wasn't humility at all. It was shame. Shame. I know when God uses me. I know who it is. I know I don't deserve it. I know all the glory is his. But I know when there's a flow and when God is speaking. I know it. I know when there isn't a flow. I know when I'm on my own. And as I've gotten older, I've learned to shut my mouth. Especially if the flow is going and then it stops. I don't keep talking. So this is hard to accept here. Okay. So I got to say it again. 
the person that can't accept an honest, sincere compliment or acknowledgement of what they've done is more proud than the one that's boasting about what they've done. The Lord has taught me. I didn't get there myself. And when people say something nice about what I've done, cheer appreciation, I simply say, thank you, and leave it at that. No more explanation. Well, I can't do this, and, and this isn't, uh, and, and it wasn't really me. It was God, and, and, and whatever, and, uh, or the negative. I didn't think it was that good. Well, that was, that was, what? One is the same thing as the other. The first is the same thing as boasting. It's the same thing. No, no, you say it's not. Oh, the motive behind it is exactly the same thing. It's the same thing. All of it is self-will. Self-will is the antithesis and the hum- the enemy of true humility. Did you hear that? Self-will is the antithesis and the enemy of true humility. Some people have strong wills because they're so sure they're right. But there's a whole lot more that have strong wills because they believe they're damaged. And in their self-will, they further that damage because they cannot receive love. They cannot receive acceptance because they're constantly trying to earn it, but it's never good enough in here. They never believe it's good enough. Never believe it's good enough. It would be like a batter who just hit a home run at the bottom of the ninth, the seventh game of the World Series to win. And somebody says to them, wow, what a home run. And them saying, yeah, but it only cleared the fence by a foot. What? So the scoreboard doesn't give you the same credit that if it left the whole ballpark? That's the way we are, see. We can be that. When we have shame, we, we, we can't even acknowledge that God's used us because there has to be blame somehow involved. When self-will is operating in our lives, we are making ourselves and our own we are making ourselves our own gods. Whosoever will you're following is your God. <laughs> Whosoever will you're following, whosoever will you're submitting to is your God. If you're doing your wife or husband's will, if you're doing your kids' will, your parents' will, I'm talking I'm not talking about submitting to authority, legitimate authority. If you're pleasing yourself or if you're pleasing God, whoever's will you're doing is your God. Again, I'm not speaking of legitimate authority and the right of that authority to lead or guide, whatever. Poverty of spirit, true humility is essential if we are to be mature and healthy people and mature and healthy Christians. So again, poverty of spirit is scriptural humility. The first requirement for scriptural humility is seeing ourselves as God sees us. The first requirement. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
we're poor in spirit because we see God as himself and see ourselves in relationship to him with him. And he can do anything and we can do nothing. Oh, I know, I know. Flesh says, well, I do all kinds of stuff without God. Yeah, I know. That's exactly the problem, isn't it? But none of it pleases God. Anything I do through my own strength and ability and intellect and talent and personality, none of it pleases God. None of it. Absolutely none of it. No matter how much results I have, none of it pleases God because the motive's wrong. I received the glory out of it. He didn't get any glory out of it. If we see ourselves through the lens of our culture or the lens of our past, our vision is distorted, preventing us from seeing clearly. This condition naturally is called myopia. Myopia is an abnormal eye condition in which light rays from distant objects are focused in front of the retina instead of on it so that the objects are not seen distinctly. It is nearsightedness. Myopia also figuratively is a lack of understanding or foresight. The vision of what God sees us to be is hindered by spiritual myopia. Now, I am, uh, my dad was a photographer in the Navy 30 years and I got the love of photography by osmosis, I guess. And I like to, uh, when it was film, I, I, I like to use different uh, filters on the front of the camera because you could see different. You could, you could shoot a picture that was a hazy day, but if you got a polarizing filter, you put it on there and you turn the polarizing filter, it would cut the haze and it would, the picture would turn out like it was a beautiful day. But in reality, it wasn't a beautiful day because everything was changed by that. Now, nowadays, you can photoshopping, even though that's a specific brand of photo editor, has become the verb for altering a picture uh, digitally, applying certain digital filters and changing the contrast and the uh, the, the, the uh, saturation and all that, the color balance. Well, coming back to the filter, shame is a filter over my natural and spiritual eyes. And what is really happening, I don't see. Because the filter changes what I'm seeing, and I see something different than what's really there. I see the looks that I'm seeing are negative about me. The the things that are said are coming to me differently than people meant them. And I'm interpreting these things this way because of the filter of shame. The filter of shame has programmed me to be defensive. The filter of shame has. We live in a culture that teaches us to value independence and self-sufficiency to such an extent that we shut God and everyone else out of our lives. Because we don't want to depend on anybody. I've had people say to me, <laughs> I don't depend on anybody but myself. I said, why? Because God has let me down so many times or people have let me down so many times. 
uh, or God and people have let me down so many times. And so I have asked them when it was appropriate. Uh, so you don't depend on anybody but you, no. So how many times have you ever let yourself down? Silence. Because I know and they know and they know I know that nobody has ever let them down more than they've let themselves down. Nobody. Nobody has ever rejected me like I've rejected me. Nobody's ever said stuff to me like I say to me. That's one of the reasons I know. I knew I had shame. Because the things I would say to me, you stupid idiot, why can't you ever get anything right? I didn't have to use profanity. I could curse myself just simply speaking negatively about myself. When that comes out of my mouth about me, I said things to myself I would never let anybody else say to me. I wouldn't stand for it. But I said to it, I said it, I said it. I said it. Now, if Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and the word devil means traducer or slanderer, and he is the accuser of the brethren as a slanderer, when I am... I'm a brother. When I am speaking negatively to me about myself in ways that God doesn't speak to me, I'm doing the work of the devil. That's what he wants me to do. He wants me to badmouth myself. He wants me to put myself down. He wants me to not believe, not to believe that God loves me. He wants me to do that. He wants me to do that. Again, we live in a culture that teaches us to value independence and self-sufficiency to such an extent that we shut God and everybody else out of our lives. It is wrong to make personal success, according to our culture standards, the ultimate goal of our lives. It's wrong. Here's the standard of success. Finding, knowing, and doing the will of God every day. Period. End of story. Results are his problem. The results are his business. Some sow, some water. God gives the increase. All of that is on him. Success is not achieving something. Success, spiritual success every day, is finding, knowing, and doing the will of God every day. Sometimes success is not the real goal at all. Sometimes what we say is the goal is just a front for the real goal, which is to be in control, to do my will. Why? Because I don't trust anybody else. More people suffer from the addiction of success than from any other addictive behavior. Why? Why? Because success is what they do. They want to do success. They want to feel better about themselves. They want to prove to everybody else they're not what they feel like they are. But it doesn't work. It never works. Focusing on the mistakes and failures in our past keeps us from developing our relationships with God and others. Because all of our failures that have not been resolved between uh, within ourselves, by God's grace, and with him, become barriers to relationship. Admittedly, reflecting on the consequences of our past mistakes can bring insight that helps us make better choices in the future, by the grace of God. But focusing on our mistakes and beating ourselves up for those mistakes and failures never are positive. 
they're never positive. That's never positive. On the other hand, there are those who refuse to look at their failures at all. I can have so much shame. I don't even want, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to delve deep. I want to stay in the conscious. I don't want to deal with the subconscious. I, I, I want to deal, I want to stay in the, in the present, in my mind. I don't want to exa- examine or the Holy Ghost, examine my heart or my spirit. I don't want that. I don't want, I, I, I don't want to do that. We numb ourselves to the pain of our past by lying to ourselves and by using substances or behavioral behavior addiction. I read this. Uh, I haven't read any books about shame, but I read this statement. Shame is the root cause of all self-destructive behavior. Why? Because I do that to punish myself. I do it to punish myself. Suicide is the ultimate act of shame. Hiding from our feelings of inadequacy is not the answer, but neither is miring ourselves in them. Neither of these two extremes are ever, is ever productive. Neither of them is ever productive. In fact, what really happens is we kind of bounce back and forth between them. When things seem to be going well, we're really up and we are so confident in ourselves because we're denying this other stuff. But then when any kind of, anything goes wrong, mistake, then we're right back to these negative feelings about ourselves. Spiritual myopia, because it's nearsightedness, encourages self-absorption. Spiritual myopia or self, spiritual nearsightedness tends to make us overly introspective. I want to be open to God. I want him to be able to search me throughout. I don't want anything in my life to be hidden from God. But God is one thing. For me to wait around in myself and pick everything apart doesn't breed faith, and it doesn't produce a willingness to do right. It only produces shame. So I've got to bring all that and give it to God. I can't hold on to it. I got to give it to God. Let him forgive me. Let him cleanse me. Let him heal me. I got to give it to God. I don't want to keep that in here. That's why I've said it before. I will say it again. That shame is the root cause of all spiritual inconsistently. Why? We become overwhelmed with what we see, which causes us to doubt God's ability to change us and use us. And then we can't do it ourselves. We try, but we can't. We keep failing. And shame undermines our ability to understand our need for God, that without him we can do nothing, and to allow him to love us and help those things happen in our lives. No one is more self-focused than the person with shame. (laughs) That sounds strange, doesn't it? No one is more self-focused than the person with shame. Everything's about them. I've I've said that to people. It was absolutely true, but, oh, they got offended by that. I said, no, it's not. And I began to name things. You interpret looks as everything having to do with you. You interpret words that are said, everything having to do with you. You interpret. You interpret somebody walking by not speaking as automatic to have to do with you. There's no chance that there was something else going on in that person's life. No, 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 no. 
was not, it's no chance that there was something really bad happening and they were very absorbed and didn't even see you. They were so caught up in it. But it all has to be about you. And you go through that a little bit and they go, yeah, you're right. Everything is seen in the person with shame from the perspective of self and the negative feelings that we have about ourselves. That's the filter we see everything through. I reject myself throughout the day, but I become very sensitive to anyone else doing the same. So shame causes me to reject myself throughout the day. But I'm beating up on me, but you can't. So I get very offended and very defensive if you're doing to me what I'm doing. Like I said, in the midst of my shame, I said stuff to me I would never let anybody else say. But hear me, my friend. With all of this, it's not hopeless. Trust me. Trust me. God is no respecter of persons. He delivered me. He healed me. I lived with this for 33 years and didn't know what was wrong with me. Only God, psychiatrists, psychologists, they can help you cope. But God is not into helping you cope. Medication can mask it, but it doesn't fix it. It doesn't make it better. You can take stuff that alters your mood and calms you down and picks you up or whatever it is, but it can't fix your problem. Only God can deliver us from this bondage, only God. And he wants to do that. And you know why he wants to do it? Because he loves us and he wants us to be whole and he wants us to be fully involved and able to be used in his kingdom because he knows that that's life. Psalm 16, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And when I'm used by your power at thy right hand, there is pleasure forevermore. And that's living. And when I've got shame, I'm not really living. I'm just dying every moment because it hurts so badly. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, I pray the spirit of grace upon you to give you the spirit of faith that you would believe God and trust God and let him help you with these things so that you can be healed. And let me say this now, and I'll say it again. On my YouTube channel, uh, Apostolic Iron, there are two seminars where I minister to shame. That's not the purpose of this teaching. The purpose of this teaching is to show you how shame affects your ability to have a right motive. But if you want to be ministered to for shame, there's two full seminars where people were, where it, the Lord ministered to people for their shame and people got healed and got delivered and they're free to watch. You don't even, I don't even have, there's no way for me to know you watched it. You can watch it in the privacy of your own house by yourself and nobody else know you're doing that. And God will help you. Apostolic Iron Channel on YouTube. The shame seminars. There's two years of them in there. One or seven videos, the other one is seven videos, the other uh, one's five videos, the second one is seven videos. The Lord will help you and use you, and you can get additional training on this and teaching on this, and because He wants you to be whole. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.